I'm sure you have acquaintances, friends perhaps even, that you have what would be called a love-hate relationship with. Well, the nice kind of people you are, not love-hate, but like-dislike. You know the kind of people who you, you really like to be around them, but when, once you've been around them a little while, you just wish you weren't around them. Uh, I have a sort of that same feeling with, with this story that Jesus told. The story about people going out at all different kinds of times of day to work, and at the end of the day, everybody gets paid the same. The guy who worked hard all day and the guy who worked for one hour, they get paid the same. And, and that, uh, page, that peeking in that paycheck, I, I like the story, but I don't. And I'll tell you why I like it. I like it because it just is filled with grace. It's filled with grace. It tells me it's not how much I do that gives me worth. It tells me that uh, God's going to love all of us equally. It tells me that, uh, as that old saw says, that the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. We're all going to be paid equally. I love this passage of Scripture. That story is wonderful. But there's a part of it that I don't like. The part I don't like is everybody gets paid the same. I mean, the thing I like about it is the thing I don't like about it. Uh, you know, it just... In, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why I don't like it. I'll just tell you why. Because, see, when I was 17, I became a Christian. and I went into ministry. And I was a great sacrifice to myself. I went to school, got my way through college, got my way through seminary. Barbara and I did together. We did without a lot. Barbara tells the old story about going out to the clothesline and hanging the clothes out and finding a quarter that somebody had dropped out of somebody's pocket on a clothesline. And she went and got the last crust of bread that we had. Now, I think that story has been amplified a little bit, but we had tough times. We've sacrificed. And I'll tell you another thing. I'm a good man. I have been locked up in jail. I haven't run around. I haven't got drunk. I have done a lot of things, you know, I've been locked up. That's, I'm a good man. And I'll tell you another thing. I've done a lot of good things. I've preached in hundreds of churches. I've baptized, I've served communion, I've counseled, I've been on the boards of all these places. I've done a lot of good things. And I'll tell you, when I see the other guy's paycheck, this scoundrel who just sort of walks around, stands around to the last day and gets the same paycheck as I do, that makes me angry when I peek at his paycheck. So you see, the reason I like the story is reason I don't like this story. And the reason I don't like this story is because you've got the gist of it. I'm right self-righteous about this thing. I think I'm better than those guys. I think I got an edge with the landlord that they don't have. So here I am standing in this pulpit. On the one hand, love the story. On the other hand, have real problems with it. Now what am I going to do? Well, I thought about this for a while. It's got some things bubbled up, and 
I figured that if I have some ambivalence about this story, then maybe you do too. Now, I know you can't be as self-righteous as I can. And the reason is because I'm more righteous than you are. But, but let, me, let me just share with you some of those things that have bubbled up about this story. And they, they're not connected. But just they've bubbled up. One is, this story reminds me anew and afresh. How grace is that which I, I hang the gospel upon. Unmerited favor is a definition for grace, at least the one I like. Unmerited favor. This passage reminds me again and again that, that my relationship to God is, is based not on how good-looking I am or how smart I am or what kind of car I drive, what kind of house I live in. Oh, that's immaterial to God. My relationship is based upon his love for me. The fact that he, he has this, unfav- this favored merit for me. I, I don't have to do anything to be loved by God. My wife paints these pictures, and if you look at a lot of them, there'll be a little point of red in them, just a little dot. She says that's to draw the eye and pull people into the picture. Well, if that's true with this story, I'll tell you. God takes the story and he just throws a gallon of red paint on it. The grace of God is so full in this story. Everybody, everybody is treated equally. And I like that. There's another thing that bubbles up in this story that, 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 that we all ought to know. And I guess we do up here. And that is the story tells us that the fellow who worked all day and at the end of the day was dissatisfied has this rather sad commentary. He says, why, I worked for you all day in the heat of the day. Sounds like that older brother in the prodigal son story who says, well, look, I've been here all this time and you kill a fatty calf with this brother who's gone off and I've been here all this time. You never did anything for me. Folks, if the only reason we serve the Lord, and the only reason we're out there in the vineyard, is so what we can get out of it, we're there for the wrong reason. Service to our Lord ought to be done because we love Him. Not so that we can earn His love, or that we can get something back from Him. After all, this is the way we relate to other people. You, you don't want to be loved because of what you can give to folks. That's a rather artificial kind of love, isn't it? And you, want, you don't want to be loved by somebody just because of what you can get or give either way. You want to be loved for who you are, like you love your children, like God loves his children. And so it is that when we fume, as I just did a minute ago, about how good I am and how much I have done. We ought to be shamed. What a joy and a privilege it is to serve God. To be called to a life of service to God is not just a high calling. It is a wonderful way to spend your life.
And so it ought not be a burden to us to serve God. It ought not be an obligation. It ought not be something that causes us to look for the paycheck at the end of the day. But it ought to be something that we do with a smile on our lips and with a light heart. There's another thing that bubbled up in this story that I sort of found interesting about myself. I found out that what you and I call preferential treatment is something that God doesn't understand. God doesn't understand this business of preferential treatment. A friend of mine uh, asked me the other day, he's got, some t- he's got teenage kids, one of them going to college, and he said, Do you treat your, did you treat your children equally? And the answer was, yes, no. Yes, I, tr- I loved them all. I took care of them and tried to be a good father to all of them. I fed them and clothed them, and none of them went hungry. Well, I had two teenage boys that always seemed to be hungry when they were teenagers, but, you know, it wasn't because food wasn't on the table. But I didn't treat them all equally in the sense that when one of them played trumpet, I didn't give them all of them trumpets. When one of them had knee surgery, I didn't make all of them go have knee surgery. If one had been a special needs child, you certainly wouldn't have thought it had been unfair for me to take care of that child's needs over and above the other child's. You know, they all were different. And so I didn't treat them alike, except that I loved them alike. Preferential treatment. When you love people and truly love them, there's no such thing as preferential treatment. Uh, last Sunday we had church picnic and Barbara and I were at the lake and a bee stung Barbara. And last time one stung her, she swole up so bad the doctor told her Mike could kill her. Next time she better get the doctor or the ER pretty quick. So I insisted, you know, that we go to the emergency room when her arm started swelling up. And while we were there, while she was being treated there, she got okay, by the way. She's, in fact, she's here with us today, so thank goodness, you know, the doctor was wrong. But uh, while she was being treated, I saw a big sign in the emergency room, huge sign that said, It's the law, in English and in Spanish. And it reminded the reader that anyone who comes to the emergency room, is, the hospital is required to treat them. Now, that sad part of me, that unredeemed part of me said, well, hmm, why should I pay good money for my medical premium insurance so I, my wife can come here and get treated and then some guy comes in here and I know this guy's uh, spent his money on beer and lottery tickets and he probably has a pair of alligator boots too, you know. <laughs> and yet they treat him just like they treat my wife. That's not fair. But the better, the more redeemed part of me that had been informed by the story said, ah, isn't it wonderful that here's a place where everybody's treated the same. Whether you're a prince or a pauper, you come to that place, you're treated the same. Maybe we ought to have a sign like that in our church. That when you come to this place, no matter who you are, no where you're coming from, no matter where you spent your money on booze or Bibles, this is a place where we're all on the same ground.
I've always been puzzled by Christians who begrudge the other guy a break. This story seems to me said that all of us get a break because all of us are loved by God. There is no such thing to God as preferential treatment. He loves us all the same. There's another little bubble that came up, and this may be totally unrelated, but it's a bubble that came up, and I'm going to tell you about it. And that is, this passage tells me that I can relax with God. That everything's going to be okay. Whether I'm standing out in the marketplace, whether I'm working in the field, that God's going to treat me all right. And so I don't need to be always looking at the scorecard to see where I stand with him. I don't have to be sewing on merc badges to prove to him or to you how valuable I am or what a good servant I am. I can sort of put on some rose-colored glasses because the world looks better that way. I can grin a lot more. I don't need to grit my teeth. I can relax in God's grace. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right in the end. When I get the paycheck, it's going to be fair. Because you see, the landlord is not concerned about making it tough on anybody. The landlord is concerned about me. You see, this story is not a story about the workers. It's a story about the character and nature of God. And when I read the story... I, I, can be, I know that I'm okay. And I know that you're okay too. And it's going to all work out in the end. So relax. The last little thing that came in my mind I share with you. I've never been real good with hand-eye coordination things. It always bothered me because as a man or a young boy... Things like baseball and pool and ping pong, I just can't do real well. Girls beat me at that, <clears throat> and that is always humiliating. I was all right on track and, you know, bar, the horizontal bar and pole vault and those kinds of things, but I couldn't hit the ball. And so when I was out of baseball season, I mean, this was terrible times. I'd sit out there in right field. That's where I thought less balls were hit. And I was like Charlie Brown. I would make the same prayer, Charlie Brown. Please, Lord, please, Lord, don't let the ball come to me. Please, Lord, don't let the ball come to me. And always, somehow always, the ball would come to me. And I would run up, and then I would run back, and I had both hands in the air, and the ball would hit somewhere, you know, in between. And then there was Jake Watson. The golden glove guy of Greensville County. He, could, he played shortstop and he had reflexes like this and the ball would go line drive and he'd snag it and throw it to second base. The first base double play and the crowd would cheer. Jake Watson. Golden glove guy of Greensville County. And when you look at that scene, you know, the crowd would see Jake Watson out there. And they'd cheer and they'd applaud. And a boy when he'd come back in. Then they'd see this old beanpole bespeckled fell out in right field. Pop fly right to him and he would run up and down the field and drop the thing. 
And the crowd would either be silent or a soft boo would be heard. Jake would come to the bench. Everybody would pop him on the shoulder. Kirk would slink to the bench (laughs) and hope that somebody else would take his place the next inning. But when God looked at that scene, he saw Jake Watson do well. And he would grab old Jake Watson by the shoulders and God would say to him, Jake, you did a good job. And he would applaud. And we'd see old Kirk Lashley slinking to the bench. He'd grab Kirk Lashley and he would see the sweat on Kirk's upper lip. He would see the sweat on Kirk's upper lip. And he would know that Kirk had tried his best. And he would grab him and say, All right, Kirk, attaboy. Life is not fair. Life is not fair. And I'm glad. Life is not fair, folks. Aren't you glad? Because in God, we get far more far more than we ever deserved. Shall we pray? Thank you, our Father, for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, and his wonderful gospel, so that we might know of your grace, of your love, The fact that we don't have to work so hard. The fact that we can rest assured. The fact that we can be surrounded by your arms and here at a boy. Thank you, Father, for seeing the sweat on their lips when others only see failure. In Christ's name. Amen.